Hello and welcome to Freelance Corner. I'm Jess and this is Faye. Hello. Now regular listeners may notice the name change. This podcast used to be called Freelance Party Broadcast but we decided to rebrand ourselves as Freelance Corner as that's the name of the platform that this is the podcast of. So Faye, if you could change your name, what would you change it to? <laughs> um, in all honesty, I think there's been a few times that I've wanted to change my name. <laughs> Why have you wanted to change your name? Many embarrassing moments and different things that have happened in my life that I'm like, do you know what I could do with a name change, change of country? But I think I'm going to stick with Faye. I'm going to stick with Faye for now. sounds good before we get started just a reminder that we are recording from our homes so the sound may not be as good a quality that we used to but we're doing everything we can to keep bringing you this podcast today's question that we wanted to answer was how can disabled freelancers find work and we're joined by liz johnson a gold medal winning paralympic swimmer who has launched a platform to help disabled freelancers find work Welcome, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's great to have you here, Liz. Um, I feel like we have a lot to chat about because we both went to Swansea Uni, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, I was in Swansea for a long time because I swam there before I went to uni as well. So, but then I was commuting back and forth along the M4. But yeah, Swansea's a cool place. Bit of Joe's ice cream. Oh, I love Joe's. I miss (sighs) Joe's. So the the national pool in uh, the Wales National Pool that's at Swansea Uni. Yeah, so I'm that old that um, I was swimming when it opened. Um, and it opened the year before Athens 2004 Paralympic Games, but I was still at school in Newport. So um, I was traveling back and forth twice a day to Swansea so that I could still study at school, but still train to go to the Paralympics. And then it, it just made sense for me to pick that as my university. Actually, it was probably the best thing that I ever did in terms of shaping my life long term. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm a, I'm a passionate Swansea Uni former student too. <laughs> I'm really interested in your career up to this point because you have achieved so much. Could you kind of talk us through your career, both sporting and now kind of looking at more at this like freelance platform? Tell us a bit about it. I'm so interested. Yeah, it's fair to say it's pretty varied. And uh, like I've been really fortunate to have a lot of opportunities over the years. Sometimes I've been in the right place at the right time. Sometimes it's like they say, the lucky... The, the more you practice, the luckier you get. Like you just, you find your like things start to come to you. The more you, the more you're willing to step into those opportunities. So it's been kind of a mixed bag, really. And I think, like initially, um, obviously being an athlete was a massive part of my life. I did, I did it for twenty years, and like I retired at thirty. And like, not many people can say they retired at thirty. I wasn't naturally the most gifted swimmer. My life as a swimmer and as an athlete taught me a lot and prepared me a lot for the future and I think like even even back to that conversation about going to Swansea University swimming became my focal point and because I wasn't naturally gifted at it I had to work really hard at it so it made me prioritize it over other things but it made me consider it at the forefront of everything that I was doing whenever I was making other decisions so it it gave me direction um, having something to focus on and something that meant something to me being a Paralympian has helped now with the life I work in now because it's true that people people don't know a lot about disability still. Like it's still one of the areas that people have less education and exposure to and around. But people can relate to sport. And so being a Paralympian and, and, and obviously winning a gold medal was the icing on the cake. But it means it gives me a it's given me a platform. To, to talk about things and to show what is possible and to advocate for others who maybe don't have that opportunity. It made me realize how important it is to have something 
that matters to you and that mean and that's the same for everybody like when i'm working with young people when i'm working with older people whether it's a corporate environment a sporting environment or a school environment or even just a social environment sometimes it's it's the idea of having having a reason to get up in the morning and actually it's about finding the right people to support you on these adventures at the right time and so for me what i do now is important because it's bringing that to life and making people realize how important it is to to have choice and have equitable opportunities for all because why is somebody else empowered to make a decision about you based on the way you look or what they think and know they know about you so the evolution of my career kind of happened fairly naturally from accepting opportunities but like because when I was an athlete my parents always hammered home like you're only as good as your next swim like your last swim was great but no like if you if you don't swim again or if someone beats you or you get injured and you can't swim like whatever happens like that's how long your career is so you need a backup plan that's what took me to Swansea University because my my dad was always like well what are you going to do for a proper job and I was like, well, you know, I like maths and I like money, so I'll be an accountant. So I went to Swansea. I mean, I went to Swansea because of swimming, as I said, but I chose my subject based on what I liked. I liked finance and I liked maths. So I, I chose business management and I specialized in finance, which, again, people assume I would have done sport because that's just an assumption people make about athletes, which is also incorrect. But then it meant that I always had this interest in corporate world and and a link to the business world and like having gone to Athens and then gone to Beijing and winning in Beijing helped massively because it was the games before London and the people were getting involved and and sponsors were interested but like for me I think the turning point was that in Beijing like when I was winning while I was winning my gold medal like people were talking about the fact my mum had literally just passed away so my mum died 10 days before I won my gold medal like while I was in China she had cancer and it was all very like sad and shocking. We were still kind of in that time where people were becoming more and more aware of the Paralympics. There was, still wasn't enough coverage that meant that everybody got the coverage they deserved. So they still jumped on stories that were hard hitting. Like I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to talk about my mum. Like I couldn't hide from the fact it was on national news. Like, but like then what happened next, I guess, was just that you take something good out of a bad situation. And it put me in a position to be able to get talk about how to deal with things you can't control and advocate for people everything lined up to give me an opportunity to work with companies to educate them about the Paralympics but about the deeper meaning of it and like what it takes to be an athlete but then how you can transfer that into the the real world in inverted commas and the fact that people just need an opportunity to show what they're capable of I was fortunate enough to like broadcast. So I work on the broadcasting team for the Paralympics. So I still get to go and I still get to talk about it and I still get to be involved and I still get to promote this amazing movement. Um, and then, but also athlete mentoring and working with young people and helping them find what makes them tick. And then it led me to this realization that actually there are certain demographics, not that I was unaware of it, but just how severe it was. Certain demographics don't get these opportunities because people have never taken the time to understand them. And that is how I ended up at the, like co-founding the ability people, because I was like, why is it that the employment gap for people with disabilities has been over 30% for over a decade and nobody's done anything about it? Like, why is that? And it enraged me. So then I set about finding out why that might be. And it's a various, there's a variety of reasons, like opportunity, understanding, all sorts. But I 
then decided that I wanted to do something about it. And that's where the Ability People came from, really. Liz, that was so interesting. There's so much that you've you've done in your career, um, both sporting and now kind of outside of sport in business. And it's interesting to see that the link there was actually kind of studying business and getting kind of an idea about that and your experience as a Paralympian and how that's kind of influenced your work now. Your story about Beijing is just so so sad um, and inspirational that you still managed to perform so well despite losing your mum 10 days before was it it's just I've got a lot of respect for you Liz I think again though like there's no right thing to do in that situation but I think what makes it very real is that we we know how many people can be impacted by cancer or other illnesses in some way and it's and it's very much like I hope that what people get out is you've got to do what's right for you but also that idea that if I had I had worked 12 years to win that gold medal and I didn't I didn't win it because I was there that year and I was ready I won it because of all the, the work I'd done before had prepared me and so I guess that's the point is we all have challenges we all have barriers and we all have times where we think oh, enough of this I've had enough I'm not doing this anymore it's rubbish but like take your time to, to think if that's true or not because nobody knows what's around the corner and nobody like again back to my career now this career didn't exist like being a broadcaster on the, about the Paralympics didn't exist because the Paralympics wasn't on television when I was young so when people ask you what you want to do and then they decide to tell you it's not possible don't listen to them because anything is possible it's not always easy but it is always worth it and you've just got to, sometimes you've got to bide your time and wait for the right time but if you just think of every day as preparing yourself to deal with whatever comes your way because we're not defined and I think this is what I really learned as well you're not defined by what happens to you and you can't be blamed for what happens to you and we all make mistakes but people will react and will judge on how you respond that's brilliant I find everything that you're saying right now so inspirational it's making me want to become a sporting like athlete it's great don't do it don't do it (laughs) (laughs) But one thing that I wanted to tap into, no pun intended, (laughs) but um, what I did want to go into is obviously your sporting career and everything that you've been brought up on and everything that you've learned and all your wisdom has really mirrored now into your new venture, which is an organization that's been founded by you called TAP. Can you tell us what it is, why you started it and everything about TAP? Yes. So the Ability People, I co-founded it with my business partner, Steve Carter, who has um, a career that spans over 30 years in recruitment. We co-founded it because we were coming at the same problem from very different angles. So as I mentioned, I was really frustrated that this employment gap for people with disabilities remained so high for so long without any like anybody trying to do anything about it or any significant impact into it and he as a recruiter was very frustrated with the fact that like he knew these people must exist but they were never in the talent pool that he was searching and like and he was getting to the point where whenever he was recruiting for a role he was he was replacing with a very similar person that had been in the role before so there was not a huge amount of diversity in it so we we put our heads together to explore the different reasons for this and initially, when we set up the ability people, we were like one way we can do this is by removing as many barriers as possible to meaningful employment, because that's the other thing for people with disabilities. Sometimes people suggest job opportunities for them, not based on their interest or their education or their experience, but just based on like whether they could physically do that job or not, which is 
sometimes, not always, but can be mind-numbingly boring. And so why is it they didn't deserve the opportunity to apply and succeed in roles that they were capable of that were suited for them? So that's where the, the idea of the ability people was born. And the way we set it up was we looked for people to join our team. Most people I knew to some level in my network, like I had, I had experience of them, and we wanted to put them together. But the, the one requirement was that they all had the same motivation, goal, and drive to increase meaningful employment opportunities for those with disabilities. That was our key aim. And in doing so, we put together a team of very naturally diverse individuals. And I think that was key because at the Ability People, we are the personification of what we're trying to get people to understand because it became apparent that one of the biggest barriers was people have to see something to believe it. Like they don't understand what they've never seen or they've never experienced before. So we put together a team staffed entirely by people with impairments and disabilities or medical conditions that mean that conventional work environments aren't their preferred way of working. And it worked because people wanted to partner with us because they knew that we could attract diverse talent. And we we had candidates with disabilities and we placed candidates that had never been placed before or that or that organizations received candidates from us that they'd never really received before. Like and that but but the great thing, the powerful thing about it was we just didn't discriminate against anything because we've normalized difference within our environment and therefore differences everywhere and that's how we approach everything so so sometimes it was age sometimes it was gender sometimes it was race sometimes it was disability specific but it meant that everybody had this understanding because i have never ever been discriminated against because i'm female ever because people always think the fact they've got a disability is a far bigger issue so then i'm like well if that's the case the fact that I'm female is irrelevant, which means the fact that Jess is female, which is the fact that Faye is female, it's all irrelevant. You've only bothered about that if you've got nothing else to concern yourselves with. And so in that sense, it became a really powerful tool for removing barriers for other demographics too. But what we realized was, yes, we'd find these candidates and yes, organizations wanted them, but they didn't know how to deal with them or how to facilitate them getting through a process. And quite often the process would block them. So then what happened was we'd be helping both candidate and organization navigate the process and and make it equitable and give equity to that candidate to enable to succeed. And then once they were in the organization, we would then have to to facilitate that as well because we couldn't ethically and morally sit comfortably with saying, yeah, yeah, we've got you this opportunity. They really want you and then putting them in and actually nobody including them in anything because they didn't know how so what we realized was we needed to be consultants to facilitate the recruitment and facilitate organizations to create authentically inclusive environments and normalize difference within the workplace that's so interesting and such brilliant work that you're doing to help people to help companies because it can be difficult but there's so much more that everyone can do it can be so easy to include people and I think for a lot of people maybe it's just ignorance not realizing how these processes could exclude certain people so I think it's fantastic work that you do for freelancers I mean we've spoken about employment but because all our listeners are freelancers and Ipse actually did some research last year that showed how many uh, disabled people were freelancing because of the more flexible way of working how it could really be helpful if you if you have to regularly have hostel appointments or similar kind of engagements that you can work around those and you can always put your health first so 
I wondered if you could talk about Podium because that is such a fantastic thing that you've started and for a lot of people they might not have heard of it before. Yeah, absolutely. And again, Podium was born. It's just an organic involvement of this this concept because even within the ability people in our day-to-day work, that's pretty much how we work. Everybody within the team is a freelancer and works the hours they want on projects that suit them. So we took that. So, But rather than everybody coming to work under the umbrella of, of the ability people, because not everybody wants to do this consulting, what we realized was that model works, but on a bigger scale, which is where Podium came in. And again, it was from personal experience because I've never had a nine-to-five contracted job. Like... Swimming took up way more than nine to five. But basically, it was still on me. It was still on me to choose my team, me to choose my location, and me to choose my training hours. And it was up to me how much effort I put in. And that's the same in broadcasting. It's the same in speaking. It's the same in consultancy. It's the same in the athlete mental work that I do. And what I made me realize was actually that's what gives me the freedom to be Liz Johnson that like, and still be able to hold a conversation with my friends. Because I'd have days where I'd work super hard or be on the road, but then I'll have days where I don't get out of my pajamas or I don't get off the sofa. And like, I always used to think, oh my gosh, maybe I'm lazy. But I've realized, no, that's my body's way of recovering and enabling me to do the work that I do and have the impact that I have in other areas. And I'm like, why is it that individuals aren't afforded the same opportunity? Like, what is the problem here? Like, because as soon as you remove those barriers, it empowers people. And so Podium was something we'd always talked about, even from the inception of the ability people. But we needed to figure out the detail and how it was going to work and actually then take the time to build it and all those kind of things. And the pandemic gave us that opportunity. And the way that Podium works is there's two sides to it. So there's the freelancer who happens to have a disability or an impairment or or a barrier to that conventional work environment. And the key is that we at the ability people of the opinion that anybody can become disabled. Anybody can be disabled in, in, at times, depending on the social environment that they're in. Or So we approach that aspect of it in quite a loose term because there's a lot of people who have disabilities that are undiagnosed or they have things that impact their lives but are not recognized conditions. But if it means that they're disabled from working in a conventional working environment, then we really need to consider that to enable them to to access freelance work. So that freelancer signs up to Podium and then they they have the opportunity, they fill in a profile and then they also create listings of their capabilities and the types of jobs that they're willing to do. So there's an element of, like it's like a shop window really of freelancers. And then as when the freelancer signs up, they're asked to nominate a charity. What happens then is when the the fee is split then between... 50% of the fee going to the charity of the freelancer's choice for any job that they do, and 50% going back into the ability people and podium and the inclusion services to continue to develop them. Now, they can change that charity any point. So, for example, if you're someone who's got like three charities that you support, some freelancers do it in a way where they have a month for that charity, a month, and then they change it, and then so that they do it on a cyclical sort of um, method. Um, Some people change it every job. It depends. You can do whatever you want to do. And that charity is chosen by the freelancer. And then the other side is organizations. So organizations will post opportunities and they'll say what they want doing. And then a freelancer will get in touch via the platform and say, 
oh, I, I can do this job, I'm interested in this job. And then a conversation happens between the two parties and they either decide to proceed or not. And then once the work is completed, the organization says they're happy and then payment is made. What it does is it removes that awkwardness of, do I ask if there's a disability? Do I need to know? Like, because sometimes that's the elephant in the room. It's like, when should I disclose if I've got a disability? But by being on the platform, you've kind of done that already. And like by having the freedom to, to put yourself up for the job or the task, you've said you're capable of doing it. So really, the organization has no reason to ask any more about you as a person. They might say, have you got any samples of work or something like that? But they've got no reason to know anything personal about you. So it removes that. It gives transparency to the whole process. Can I just ask, because you were talking about how the, the fee is split between the charity and TAP. Did the actual freelancer, do they get paid for that? work oh no they get the no they get the work they get the work sorry no the fee for using podium right so for example and again it works two ways so sometimes an organization will post a job that says our budget is this so like basically this is the job this is the budget do you want it or not and other times it will post a job and the freelancer will say okay this is my fee for doing that and so i like your fee incorporates all your costs incorporates everything so so then the fee for using the platform is 20 percent. the payment structure is that like so the fee that goes to the people who deal with the payment so that we're not holding payment at tap the organization isn't holding it and the freelancer doesn't get it before they've done the job there's a fee for that which is minimal and gets taken off and then the remainder that's the 50 percent that gets split so the remainder of the 20 percent gets split so in terms of like an example the freelancer decides they want £800 for the job. So they mark that up with the 20% to charge the organization £1,000. So then what happens is the freelancer gets paid their 800 and then of that 200 the percent that needs to go to the money handling goes to that company. And then what is left, 50% goes to the charity. It was nominated by the freelancer and 50% goes back into the organization to develop inclusion services further. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Thank you. Before we answer the questions sent in from our listeners, Faye and I decided that each week we want to celebrate a success story of one of you at home. So I asked freelancers of Twitter to send in a big success from that week. So this week's featured freelancer is Carrie Eddings, who is on Twitter at, at Blondepreneur. So like entrepreneur, but blonde, that's very good. She's a connecting officer who humanises PR. Carrie's success is that last week she finally took a week off work and she's feeling a lot more relaxed as a result. Carrie, we salute you. It's so important to take time off and it's absolutely a success when you manage it as a freelancer. So if you want to be our featured freelancer in the next episode of Freelance Corner, please send us your success, no matter how big or small, to content at freelancecorner.co.uk and we'll let you know if you get featured. Now we have some questions sent in from freelancers for us to ask you, Liz. Firstly, someone asks, I'm unsure about declaring my disability to potential clients as in the past I faced some discrimination. Do I always need to tell people I'm disabled? It's a very good question and it's a very common question. And I think we're very much at the ability people. Our stance on it is, does it impact what you're going to do? Like, is there something that your disability affects that requires an adjustment or, or, or would make you feel comfortable if someone else knew about it? Because it's a very personal detail about you. And so the, the short answer is no, 
you don't have to always. But if it's going to cause you anxiety by not, then would it be better? But then the question is when. I find as freelancing, a lot of the time, it's not necessary to. And in fact, in any situation, it shouldn't be necessary to because you want to be working with organizations who are authentically inclusive. And actually, I always say a good barometer is if you had to declare the color of your underwear, like when you were going for an opportunity, would you feel comfortable doing it? And when would you do that? And like, that's quite a good way of, of like judging like if it's not necessary but like there are times where it is necessary so if you're a freelancer but you're going to be going on site but you have specific requirements when it comes to like personal care or or eating or something like that then maybe it is a good point to ask the question but when is relevant and so that's the key is at all points of the process think to yourself is there anything now where I feel it might be beneficial Lastly, we have a question from a girl called Jess. and she- Not me. <laughs> <laughs> and she asks, I have a rare illness, which means I have to sleep a lot more than other people do. How do I approach this with a client? I think that's a really good reason to be a freelancer. We have people within our team at The Ability People who are similar and like we have people that operate best from 5 p.m till midnight we have people that like don't give me a job or a meeting where i have to be there at 9 a.m unless it's like vital and then if you do please don't give me one the following morning so i think be honest but explain like how you can still do the work and give like sometimes the onus is on us to provide the solution because so often i think where the sticking point comes is people don't know any differently that's the reality and it's unfortunate but it's true so if you say oh i can't work at so i can't work at 7 a.m or or i need to sleep for 15 hours they're like well how on earth are you going to be able to do all this work but the reality is you live your life this is normal for you so you have your way of navigating the world so give them examples and show them that you're capable and give them an alternative because the problem comes when they try to they try to solve your issue or like imagine it. But what they do is they do it with what they've got available to them. I'll use myself as an example. Like people will be like, oh, how do you tie your shoelaces? And I'm like, oh, I can tie them with one hand. Or how do you put your hair up with one hand? And like if my friends break their arm, like I've had friends in the past who've broken an arm and then gone, oh my gosh, life with one arm so like so difficult. Like I don't know how you do this. And then I'll watch them. And I'm like, yeah, because you're still trying to put your hand up with one arm like a two-handed person. I use one hand and I've always used one hand. Therefore, I've never tried to do it your way. And I think so that's the issue. It's this concept of they just don't understand. And whilst we all wish they did, they don't. So no, of course, don't ever hide it because that's when you cause yourself unnecessary stress, but also you run the risk of not meeting the needs of the client because they're not aware of it. So the onus is partly on us as people who are different to explain the difference, but educate people around how it's possible to do it a different way. And that's what I would say. I would say never be ashamed or embarrassed who you are and never feel like you should hold back on it. But sometimes we have to be a bit more willing to provide the solution. What a fantastic answer. And thank you so much for answering all the questions and everything above. (laughs) Remember that if you have any questions about freelancing that you want us to put to an expert, then drop us an email at content at freelancecorner.co.uk. Unfortunately, that's all we have time for in this episode. You'll be able to find a lot of information in the show notes below and on the Freelance Corner website. 
Thanks for listening. Join Freelance Corner, the online platform for UK's freelancers at freelancecorner.co.uk for regular guides, tools and content on growing your freelance business. Please subscribe to our podcast, like, share and leave us a review and let us know what we should quiz an expert on next time. We hope our listeners are staying safe at home and thank you so much for joining us, Liz. Thank you for having me.